All right, so we're live on episode number nine, and we got a, uh, a special guest. Do you want to do a little intro there, Pete? Hi, I'm Pete. Uh, you can follow me on the Twitter machine at Pete underscore gas, uh, and I co-host the Canucks Speak Easy podcast with my buddy Doug Venn, uh, and we just recorded episode 99. So uh, we're, trying, we're trying to figure out what we're doing for episode 100 and if uh, we're just going to be lazy and do like a normal episode or if we're actually going to do something but uh yeah uh diehard canucks fan love talking canucks so thanks for having me on no worries thanks for joining i know it's um a little weird when somebody reaches out on twitter and says hey you want to join a podcast but you are awesome i really appreciate you joining oh no not at all i think uh, i think you know i think canucks fans are passionate and i think it's uh it's uh, Twitter and uh, is is a great tool and an evil tool a lot of the time for, for us out there. But uh, I think, you know, I'm I've always said I just want to talk Canucks. I don't have to agree with people. I just want to talk with uh, with people and get different opinions. And this, with this team, there's always a lot of different opinions on uh, where the team is going and what the team should do. So uh, I just, you know, I try and listen to everyone and I uh, love talking about the team. That's awesome. It's it's a good point. There is a lot of different takes on how this season's going and I guess what the next move is for this entire franchise. I mean, you probably saw the recent Halak. Uh, people are going all over how they should get rid of Halak already off of a $1.5 million contract. What is what is your take on that? Um, well, there's a couple of things with Halak. First of all, he has a full no-move clause. So anything with Halak, he has to agree to. The Canucks can't just say, hey, we're, we've traded you to arizona or san jose or something he's got to approve that the other thing is because he's got a 35 plus deal right uh, his bonuses that carry over into next year so there is from the canucks perspective i'm sure they'd love to say hey that's 1.25 because he's going to hit his bonuses mm -hmm. that's 1.25 they'd love to have off the books i think it's going to be really hard to move him though personally uh i think you know uh, he's got all the power with this and his bonuses may scare some teams away. There's certainly teams out there that could use a goalie, and Halak has played great this year. He just hasn't got a lot of run support. True. Um, I just think it's going to be, uh, personally, I think it's going to be a hard deal to make. Yeah, and it's it's kind of interesting for us as a team, too, because if we get rid of Halak, who's going to be stepping in? Are we going to pull up Di Pietro? Are we going to be... You know, hoping for the best with, uh, was it Spencer Martin? Yeah, I think it's more likely Spencer Martin uh, steps in. He's a little bit older and maybe kind of the more savvy of them. I think uh, the plan with DiPietro all along was has been just to let him have a full year after that year and a half or so where he didn't really get anything he didn't play much i mean yeah. at least yeah okay uh spencer martin he hasn't played a lot he's had three nhl games uh to to his name but he's played for a lot of different teams and bounced around but uh, again like if you do decide to trade halak if you're in a playoff push that's a big hole in your lineup now mm -hmm. is, is the backup you're basically saying all right you're riding the demco train which i mean you're going to do in the playoffs anyways true there's always that thing like what if you get into the playoffs and what if demco's playing lights out and then what if all of a sudden he gets injured and mm -hmm. you feel a lot better having a guy like halak back there uh, as opposed to a guy like martin yeah you got the jake allen effect right if you get rid of your number one then you're like okay i got we got a goalie that potentially can handle his own but if you got a dipietro you know who doesn't really have the the nhl i would say he doesn't have the full-blown nhl experience especially if they went into playoffs you might be feeding him to the wolves like we did against in that sharks game 
Yeah, and I mean, his. Uh, you look at his NHL stats, uh, they're not pretty uh, mm-hmm. in the, the couple of games he's played. But uh, I, I have full faith in this guy. His numbers haven't been spectacular with Abbotsford this year, but I still have full faith uh, in him and, of course, in Ian Clark and uh, the whole system. But uh, right. I... I I I think the Halak thing. I think the Canucks would look to move him. I certainly do. I mean, if I think the whole reason this Halak thing came up is because fans are looking uh, to read more into uh, Jim Rutherford's comments. It's like, okay, anyone I'm going to move this year is going to be for picks or prospects, and everyone's mind automatically goes to the UFAs on on the team. And right. Halak and Tyler Mott are probably the two most notable noticeable on there. So I think a lot of it comes from from that i think maybe i think the canucks would look to trade halak but i again you know you look at the uh what you're gonna if you can get something for him and he agrees to waive it yeah but then you know there is a hole there if you are pushing for the playoffs you got a hole in uh the backup spot and uh you know, you could always sign a guy and bring him in for the rest of the year. Yeah. Um, it, it doesn't really save you that much money, but at least then you've acquired some assets for Halak. But um, I personally, I don't think that uh, Halak is going to get traded. I, I, yeah, I, it's, it's funny too, because like if he did decide to move, you know, or remove his trade clause and kind of decide, okay, you know, maybe I'll go to another team. He'd be having to go with to a team that needs a goaltender, and a team that needs a goaltender. Any of the ones in the NHL right now aren't doing fantastic, other than maybe the Oilers, right? Um, he's not going to go and decide to go. Oh, let's go to Arizona. No, I think right? Colorado is an interesting team in there, and maybe mm-hmm. maybe Vegas as well. Um, I'm sure there's a couple other teams. I, I can't. Uh, Colorado's one that uh, I, I kind of lump in there with Edmonton as you know a lot of skill up front, but. The goaltending's been letting them down. Is yeah. Halak the the guy who's a one A? I mean, Halak's a he's he's in the perfect spot here. I think in Vancouver, he's in a, yeah. a veteran backup role behind a young number one guy. I that's that's kind of where Halak at thirty six years old needs to be right now. I don't know if he could jump in and be a true number one. You never know. No. He's done it before. He did it in Montreal that one playoffs, but that was uh, like over a decade ago. Um, yeah. I, I think he's a good supporting cast goalie, and that also makes it trickier because uh, now you're trying to find a team who's like, hey, we like our goalie, but we don't necessarily like our, uh, like backup. our backup. And uh, I just, again, with the salary carrying over, his uh, his full no move, um, I, I don't know. I, I think it's, uh, it's something the Canucks will probably explore, but I think it would be a tricky one to move. True. And you, you did mention a little bit on the, the UFAs of Tyler Mott. Do you find, mm. do you feel like Tyler Mott might be on the move or do you feel like Mott will be around for a while? I think it's much more likely that Tyler Mott gets traded, unfortunately. I love Tyler Mott. I've always, uh, I've said that, uh, you know, Connor Garland and Tyler Mott, uh, those are probably my two favorite Canucks right now. I just love those uh, guys who can skate and are the first ones in the corner. You know, anytime mm-hmm. the puck goes in there, they're they're the first ones. They're both smaller guys. They can skate like the wind. Uh, I really like Tyler Mott. He's not getting used a lot this year. Uh, I think right. he's out of all Canucks skaters this year. He's 24th on the team in average time on ice. So I don't know, again, if that's uh, the lingering effect of, of Green or maybe uh, or Boudreaux. I, I mean, I still think he's he's playing well. Uh, I really like him. However, he, he's is a good contract for this year, but are you really going to be going out re-signing Tyler Mott in the offseason there's going to be one of the other 31 teams that's going to offer more money yeah so unless you're like hey we can re-sign him uh it, I think a given any circumstance and with uh, Rutherford's 
desire to acquire picks and prospects, which is great. Tyler Mott seems like the obvious one. The Canucks don't have a second-round pick this year. If you can get a second-round pick for Tyler Mott, as much as it pains me to say it, you, you may have to do it. Yeah, I mean, a second-round pick right now is like the hot commodity. And I mean, thinking about where Tyler Mott was at when we got him, right? I, I yeah. would have never really expected him to go for a second. Well, when we got him, there was a lot of general outrage in Vancouver that we uh, didn't get a draft pick. We got uh, Mott and Jokinen in the deal for Vanek. And right. a lot of people, including myself, were like, what, we didn't even get a draft pick? I, I didn't know much about Tyler Mott. I knew he'd played in Chicago before Columbus, but I didn't really know much about him. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's turned out to be a fantastic trade. It's been great, but uh, his age does fit with the core of this team. I think he's a guy that uh, would really help a team in a playoff run. I mean, he's absolutely a prototypical third or fourth line yeah. winger. I've, I I still don't think the Canucks have used him to his full potential. I think he's got a little bit more offensive flair than uh, what he's shown here. Um, but I do think if, if the Canucks are unable to sign this guy by the trade deadline is certainly someone that you got to look at trading. Yeah. There, there's a lot of people now where you'll get signed for four million, right? You'll see a random player get signed for four million or three million, and they won't really have the offensive output or the defensive output, but they're signed because maybe they put up nine goals, right? And Tyler Mott's one of those guys that potentially could make you or could potentially sign for three point five because he is such a core player to the team. And people know if we bring this guy onto the team, not only does he have character, right, but he also brings that that lockdown, that almost that Barkley Goudreau energy. Right. Like that's the the epitome of a perfect third liner. And, you know, he's making great money right now, too. Yeah. Or, you know, if a team was to go over the top with like a Brandon Tanev type deal mm-hmm. as well, get a guy for term on a low AVV, uh, you know, I think there is there, there's a chance of that. Um, look, I like Tyler Mott, but the Canucks cap is going to be tight the next couple of years. Yeah. And uh, again, he's he's on a good contract now, but. I'm sure that someone's going to pay him more than that. And if you're getting anything north of $2 million, it's going to be tough for Vancouver. Mm-hmm. That's a good point. Um, speaking of this team, too, like what is the biggest, I guess, outlier that you've seen on the ice so far? I'll go. We'll go with the positive outlier and the negative outlier. We'll start with the positive one. Who's, sh- who's shined for you? Oh, I mean, JT Miller. I mean, yeah. uh, I, and I already mentioned Connor Garland. Uh, you know, two guys that cost us first-round picks. Uh, but, I mean, look at what they're doing. Right. Um, JT Miller, top 10 in the league in scoring. Connor Garland is just, I mean, he's Flying. all of a sudden become my favorite Canuck. And we've got him locked up long-term. So, I mean, yeah, it sucks losing the firsts. But, yeah, you look at what you got. Uh, and, and Thatcher Demko, of course. I mean, we wouldn't be anywhere without Thatcher Demko. Demko... He got third star of the month for December. He's starting to get a bit more love around the league, and I think mm-hmm. he's going to get some Vezina consideration this year, um, which is which is amazing. So those are the three guys that have really stood out for me uh, in a positive way. Um, more on the uh, uh, the negative, um, I mean, we all want to see Petey get his game. I think right. uh, having him out there penalty killing uh, and doing that has been great, but... I'd like to see him just stop double clutching and second guessing uh, what he's doing. He doesn't quite have that offensive confidence. He's averaging like half a point a game right now, mm-hmm. um, which isn't enough. Um, I also think Jason Dickinson, I think we expected more. Uh, he was supposed to be the plug in the 3C role. Yeah. He's had moments, but 
he hasn't really solidified that to the point where the Canucks have been using him on the wings sometimes. Um, and they've gone back to their uh, more traditional top three guys, which Miller, Horvat, and Petey going one, two, three, which I'm not necessarily a fan of. Because for me, I just, when I was doing all my mock lineups at the start of the year, like one of the first names you'd write in there was Dickinson at 3C. Because yeah. it just kind of like, that's that's what he's brought in for. Um, and that hasn't, for whatever reason, that hasn't quite lived up to it. Um, and then one more just uh, on a positive is I always like giving this guy shout outs because fans love to hate on him they, they love Uh-oh. to hate his they love to hate his contract but i gotta give some kudos to tyler myers this i thought year that because, was coming because he's uh i think he's you take the contract out of it he's been solid and Very. the more solid he is you know it closes that gap with the contract look i don't love the contract he's 31 where we still got two more years left in him six million is he playing this well two years from now uh, probably not but yeah. you never know um but it has been nice uh over the last the entire calendar year of 2021, I thought Myers played well. And it's nice that what now that, you know, Benning is out of town and Green's out of town and Canucks fans are looking for a new scapegoat. They haven't quite turned on Tyler Myers yet. And that's, uh, he kind of seemed like the most logical one for people to jump all over. But uh, uh, people have been kind of leaving him alone right now, especially with just how our right side on the blue line is looking. Yeah, I've, I've kind of seen how a lot of people are starting to... T- I guess, move the hatred that Myers used to get over to OEL a bit because we were expecting so much more offensive production, even though we we know he's a little bit older. We know the Arizona days have really taken a toll on him, probably mentally, honestly. Like, you know, lose so much of that offensive ability that you had prior, and then you have a couple of years where you're really deep in the negatives. Um, I, I, I just hope that Myers can continue the way that he's playing. I, I, I do like the way Myers is playing now. I've, I've always thought okay if you know it was, we had the Nate Schmidt contract last year I was like ooh this is going to be tough um and you got very similar output between Myers and Schmidt last year so I think mm-hmm. looking at how 6 million what 6 million gets you now on D like this is pretty this is pretty okay the thing with uh, OEL like I I think most Canucks fans uh, OEL passes the eye test this year. He's played well. The thing with uh, him is his role has changed big time uh, with this team. I mean, you're playing left D. You're not the number one guy on left D anymore. And almost anyone in the league is going to be behind Quinn Hughes on the left side in terms of offense. I mean, he is uh, OEL is getting some second unit power play time. Mm-hmm. The one thing with OEL though, this is the first time since 2012, 2013 that his plus minus rating has been a, a, in the positive. And that's again, you can take plus minus for what it's worth, right. but it does show that OEL is getting used in a different role. Six points in 31 games. Yeah, that's not not amazing by any stretch, but it's a different role. Mm-hmm. And uh, it is, though, I mean, again, how is this going to age? The guy is getting $7.2 million from the on the Canucks books for the next many years. Um, I mean, his contract, you can buy out uh, at a reasonable hit after about the fourth year. Um so, I mean, it is right now, especially with the cap crunch uh, continuing for Vancouver, uh, it's it's going to be tough. But overall, I like OEL's game. Do you kind of find he, I guess we, obviously we got him because he was part of the deal to actually flip all the 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 pieces of Erickson and all them over. Um, but do you feel like he's trying, he's kind of like our new Edler, like our Swedish, you know, our Swedish god? Oh, yeah. Yeah, especially number 23 it's uh it's it's hard to ignore that and uh i think he kind of carries on that uh tradition that edler and oland have had as well of having that stalwart 
Swedish blue liner back there who can kind of do everything. And uh, with those guys as well, you you don't notice them sometimes, especially when they got later on in their career, when they, they would they'd come in and they would have some offensive bursts in their younger years, and then they would learn the game more, and they would just kind of do everything. And there was many times, even last year, where I know we all wanted Edler to get that one goal last year, but there was a lot of games where you're like, I didn't notice Alex Edler. And then you look, and he played like 28 minutes. You're like, that's Whoa. good. And we always say, if you get a if you get a defenseman who plays a, a lot of minutes, heavy minutes, and you don't notice him, that's fantastic. And I yeah. kind of feel like OEL is doing that, and Oland certainly did that as well. So there's definitely that uh, bit of passing of the torch and that continuation of uh, a long tradition of Swedes in Vancouver. Yeah, I, I hope that... I hope that we do keep OEL around for a while because I do think that OEL is a pretty sweet part of the team. I mean, like, back in the days when you would look at a team and think, okay, what what is my fantasy team going to look like if I start picking from the Vancouver Canucks? It's cool to think now that you can go, okay, yeah, I can pick OEL, right? He's not going to do fantastic in terms of offensive production, but he's kind of locking down into more of a defensive guy or maybe a two-way. Um, but like you said, he's taking a different role, and it's good that he's embracing it and not fighting it. Yeah, and he wanted to come here too, and he uh, he was excited to play in Canada. Um, I think uh, everything I've heard about him, he's been mentoring a lot of guys, uh, forwards and D. He's been a guy that, uh, uh, again, uh, it's I, I think he brings a lot of other things. It's a big salary cap hit, uh, so he's just got to keep performing. If he kind of goes into any sort of phase where he's not putting up anything or contributing anything, it's going to be really bad for this team when he's eating up like what's currently like 9% of your team's salary cap. True, true. And 20 to 22 minutes a game on the ice. Yeah, yeah. But uh, again, I like his game so far. Um, I I like that, you know, that was Connor Garland was basically the thing that kind of had to help sweeten the deal to bring him on the other way. So right. I still, I'm still okay with that trade uh, just because, again, if nothing else, we got Connor Garland for five years. True. Do you, so... You said that um, OEL was kind of mentoring a lot of the uh, a lot of the younger guys, probably on D, but also probably on forward, right? What do you mm-hmm. think? What do you think it's going to take for PD to heat up and actually start producing uh, to where his his contract should be? Well, it's tough. I do want to see. I'd like to see the Lotto line come back together at some point oh, here once uh, they're all healthy. Um, just because, I mean, you look at anyone who's playing with Miller right now, they're putting up points and uh, Miller's just getting guys going. And I think, uh, I think it would be fun once you kind of have most of your top nine back. I mean, you know, Besser's out now, of course, Petey's out and Dickinson's out. And uh, so it makes it kind of tough. You kind of got to spread things around, but I, I think some combination of having him play with Miller uh, would be really the way to get him going uh, right now. Um, just, you know, put him in a situation where there's got a, you got a battering ram like him, maybe just put a, put him out there with Garland as well or something. True. You know, I know he's had time with Garland uh, and Pod Colson, but instead of treating him like a three C for a couple games, maybe just, you know, play pretend, put him back on uh, say first liner. You're going with Miller and Besser. You're going with Miller, Garland, whatever. Mm-hmm. And just act like, you know, nothing's happened and, and just kind of see what that does. That fails. I don't know after that. And again, I don't think PD has played badly. I just think when it comes down to the the that those clutch moments, I think he just his brain either goes a little too fast or or he second guesses himself, mm-hmm. and it makes it a, a little uh, 
trickier for him to make that play. Um, but I've just seen a lot of times where he passes instead of shoots or he double clutches on the pass and uh, it gets picked off. He's still going for a lot of very low percentage cross ice passes, like very high danger passes. True. Um, and unless he's kind of roaming on the point with Hughes on the power play, that's when I find he's kind of looking around the ice at his best. I don't know if maybe he's just getting way more coverage and he's not used to it right now, but um, what I would do is put the lotto line uh, together just because, again, you know, play with Miller for a couple games and just just see what happens. Just kind of get that mojo back and uh, just remember what got you there in the first place. I mean, that guy is incredibly creative, incredibly offensive minded. I've compared him in the past. Uh, I said his ceiling is like Pavel Datsuk. If, if he can True. get anywhere near that, you know, uh, uh, I do think he has Selkie trophy abilities in him. I think he's a two-way player. He's got that kind of next level skill also like, uh, like Peter Forsberg does. Um, and I think, uh, you know, we, let's not give up on this kid by any stretch. He's 23. He's got a ton of skill. Mm-hmm. Um, this is just, maybe he's got lingering effects of injuries. Uh, I don't know what's going on, but, um, uh, I think the lotto line back together for a couple games would, uh, that, that could help him and probably help Brock as well. If, if the lotto line does come back together, I could definitely see, um, I, I could see the eyes still being on PD and maybe he's getting, you know, two men on him. But I, the benefit there is you leave JT Miller or Besser open um, and they would be the ones potting you the uh, potting you the points. So if, if Pedersen's out there to kind of experience what, I'm not going to say success, but experience what, um, I guess, confidence looks like in JT Miller and Besser because Besser was heating up before he got the, before he got COVID. Um, I feel like that might potentially be able to push him over because it, like you said, his game's not bad. It's just underwhelming at the moment. Yeah, and he's just doing other things well. I think he's been fantastic on the penalty kill. But uh, yeah, it was interesting. Offensively, yeah, I like it. And him and Pod Colson out there, I love it. And I think that's going to help give him some confidence too. It makes him feel useful on the team. He's contributing something. Mm-hmm. But when you're designating him as a three C, it's going to be tough, um, uh, especially when uh, Canucks miss a couple other guys in their top nine. That's going to be tough. So, you know, move him back. But in order for that to happen, then again, you got to move Dickinson back to center. You need to get sure. Dowling back. You, you know, you're you're short on centers as it is. So I understand the idea that Boudreaux has of putting Miller, Horvat, and Petey on separate lines. So there's been a lot of talk with Pearson as well about where he fits into this lineup. I'm I'm not I'm not a huge Pearson fan. Um, I think he does play a, a, a role on this team, but I think the role that he's playing right now is a little too high. Um, what, what is your take with, with Pearson? Well, I mean, it, it's tough. Cause this is again, a player who, uh, it's tough to break away the player from the contract. There's a lot of people True. like myself when he signed the deal who thought he got overpaid. And I, I still do think he, he got overpaid. Cause yeah. when I was ballparking Tanner Pearson, I had him at like 2.5 to 2.7 was kind of where I had him. And when it's coming north of 3 million, I was just like, Jesus, that's, uh, that's, that's too much. Yeah. Um, so that makes it tough. Uh, I mean, remember the last game we saw of the Canucks, Tanner Pearson had a Gordie Howe hat trick and True. he does bring things to the table, but he generally gets used in a position that's higher than he should be. And the Canucks fans also just got really sick of seeing him stapled to Bo Horvat there. Yeah. Uh, Pat Pearson is a guy that if you can trade him, that's another guy that you certainly look at trading. And he does have a limited no trade cause that clicks, kicks in uh, before next season, it's not not a big one. It's like seven teams that he can't get traded to or, mm-hmm. uh, or puts on the list. But 
I think is a guy that you could certainly look at freeing up some cash. And I think there could be takers out there. Uh, he's the type of guy who on a, a deep top nine team, like, you know, the Tampa Bay Lightning uh, would be a great example of a, he'd be the type of, a type of guy that, you know, you're going for it again. Uh, you, you bring in a guy like that or a contending team. Yeah, I could see them going for the, yeah, I could see them going for a, a guy like that. And uh, they've seen Tanner Pearson in the past as well. And, um, so I, I think it's a guy that you do look at uh, moving if you can. And, you know, that's, again, what Rutherford's talked about. If you can get picks or prospects for a guy like Pearson, yeah, I say you do it. And, again, gives you a little bit more cap flexibility uh, over the next couple of years. Yeah, there's I, I try to think about where we'd be if, if Pearson was flipped over for a pick or a prospect. And if we had to call somebody up for his role, we'd just move everybody down the line. But who would be the next person that comes up from Abbotsford? Are you, um, are you a big Nick Patan fan? Uh, I mean, Patan, it, it could it it depends what you're looking for. Um, I still at the start of the year, I had Will Lockwood making the team. Right. Um, I I still would like to see Will Lockwood uh, come up and get get a shot. Uh, I know he plays the different wing that than uh, Tanner Pearson does. Um, that's again, you know, it it, it would be Patan. I think. Patan, Lockwood, bring that back Justin Bailey. I, I really like Justin Bailey too, but I think it would just depend on what you're, uh, what you're wanting out of it. Like, is Lockwood going to jump right into the top six, top nine? I don't know. Like, I think Lockwood might be better off starting more in a, in a fourth line speed role, kind of like with Tyler Mott. Right. Um, but it would be one of those guys, I think. I think it would be Lockwood, Patan, or, uh, or Bailey. But again, COVID, everything else, who the heck knows, right? Yeah. I mean, I was really excited to see Chel- um, Nick Patan play this year because I was watching the preseason and he had some unreal chemistry with JT Miller. So I was like, is this going to be the new line? And then we potentially put Pedersen somewhere else. But um, eventually it just kind of, they, they put him back to the A, which I was like, yeah, I guess that's probably the right spot for him. Maybe I had a little bit too high expectations. Um, but I think he definitely can play if, if necessary. He's an interesting guy. And also like Sheldon Rempel's being called up. Yeah. He's on the taxi squad right now. He's the second leading scorer in Abbotsford. Um, so he's another guy who gets some look. Nick Patan is uh, is one of those guys who I remember watching him play junior. Oh, uh, put yeah. up monster numbers with the Winterhawks. Like, just like monster numbers uh, uh, for a few years over there. Um, I think he won a Memorial Cup down there too. I, I can't about remember. Right. Um but I mean, it's it's one of those guys whose numbers never quite translate in the NHL. He had a good season, a couple of good years in the AHL. Uh, great AHL player. Um, the Canucks brought him in for that. But I, I I'm not sure what his AHL numbers are. But I, I I know he's probably close to point a game overall. But just never quite had it in the big leagues. But again, that could also be just the situations he's in. He's you know he's drafted by the Jets and they was in Toronto and they're both very deep offensive systems. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, so he's got the skills, um, but uh, just never quite been given the space to make it work. And again, I don't know if that would happen in Vancouver. Um, he's one of those guys who took the, the hometown discount to come and play in Abbotsford, which I think is something we're going to see over the years here. I think there, you're going to get a lot of these guys who are like, look, you know what? At least if I can't make the big club, at least I know the the second club is right here in my hometown, and I'm going to get to play in Vancouver in front of fans one way or another, and wear the Canucks. True, and be close to family if they're all out here too, right? Yep, yeah, exactly. And I mean, uh, there's at least four or five guys who uh, from the Vancouver area who signed here over the summer. And, uh, I think you're going to see more of that. Um, but 
it's nice that there is at least depth options, but uh, it's sometimes tough, uh, you know, uh, seeing her predicting who's going to come up. But uh, Will Lockwood is a guy who I really like and I think is going to be a part of this team at some point uh, over the next year. I'm, I'm just hoping that we don't get into a position where we were like, uh, was it two years ago or maybe last year, where we had huge COVID issues. I guess you can kind of compare it to the uh, Montreal Canadiens in the, in the Philly game, where you just have like a, a bunch of AHLers playing top six minutes, right? And if, if that situation ever gets, I mean, knock on what it doesn't, of course, but if it happens in Vancouver, then yeah, you might see like the Sheldon Dries coming up playing third line or having um, Nick Patan play second line or, you know, Lockwood coming up and playing second or third line. It just depends on who kind of goes down. Oh, yeah, and that's it right now. And I mean, the Canucks, uh, like... You know, I, I'm kind of done with trying to figure out the Canucks and their salary cap and everything else right now. You know, there's like uh, guys on LTIR, there's guys on injured <laughs> reserve, there's taxi squads, there's you're carrying freaking Roberto Luongo on there still and Braden Holtby and Jake Vertanen. And I, it's uh, I, I know Ryan Johnson's got his work cut out from trying to figure out all of this. Um, but at least the Canucks did go out and get a lot of depth this year. It's just unfortunate that they've had so many injuries. Yeah. And Dickinson, like you said, is he was pulled in for this this role that we expected him to have that he had in Dallas. And I think in Dallas, his ceiling was a little higher. You know, they, they had him on third, but he potentially could play second. He did play. I think he played second line power play a bit when everybody went down and he wasn't too bad. Um, but we got him in here for the third uh, or for the third line center. And yeah, it's just it's kind of it's underwhelming. He's starting to get his groove a little bit playing with different players, but yeah, you're, you're moving him to the wing. You're moving him to places that he probably hasn't played too much before. And I guess you kind of just have to try everything to see if it's going to work. I also think we might have uh, maybe uh, we had some skewed ideas of what we were getting with Jason Dickinson. I mean, he first played for the Dallas Stars in the 2015-16 season. He scored in his first game. Uh, but since then, uh, he's only had, in the rest of his time with Dallas, he only had 24 goals over that time from that game in 2015-16. Uh, so he's not really a goal scorer. He did have 16 goals over the last two years, uh, seven of them last year. So, I mean, he can do it. But, you know, this is a guy whose career high in points is 22. So yeah. maybe we just got to, you know, kind of put some expectations a little bit more in check i also really like uh with dickinson now he was one of the uh players uh who stood up for the the black lives matter movement uh, in that press conference that bo horvat was at as well and i like that the canucks have two of those guys now so i think he does bring some other things to the table um i think the canucks are just uh, still trying to figure out exactly what to do with him but i really do hope he uh lands into that 3c spot and settles in there because i think uh I think that could really help a lot of things. I, I like to think that um, when Benning was looking at this roster or the Dallas's roster, I always like to think that he was looking at the wrong player to sign Jason Robertson or try to get yeah. Jason Robertson from him because that would be a different story. I, I still get those two guys confused sometimes, those names. But yeah, that would uh, that would have been something else had that happened. So with, with the... Dickinson situation and Demko finding his groove again. Um, there was a joke in the in the in, I think it was in the second episode of this podcast where it was at the time when Demko wasn't playing well. Uh, the Canucks were down in the dumps. Uh, Twitter was uh, Twitter was a sad day. Um, and uh, one of the guests was saying that he expects Demko to not be 
in the top five for Vesna. And we're like, yeah, dude, that's kind of that's kind of a guarantee. I mean, look at the team. But now, with the resurgence of Demko's game and the resurgence of the Canucks in general, do you think he is potentially Vesna, or do you think it's still maybe a bit of a long shot? No, I think he's in the conversation now, and I mean, there's a lot of there's a lot of games to get played. I mean, he's he's right up in there. Um, I, it's it's hard not to like what uh, what Thatcher Demko has done this year, and I mean, you know, he's tied for the league lead in games played, um, among other things. Um, he's he's like his stats are crazy he's got you know well they're right up there 920 save percentage 255 goals against yeah. but it's also just how he's making saves and True. what he's doing um and how he's keeping the team in it but uh you know he's top 10 in the league and in, in wins right now as well i i think he's certainly in the discussion uh for it and at least north of the border he's certainly been getting a lot of love but however even south like he was a guy who's going to make the u.s olympic team and yep. uh, you know he's a san diego product and i think uh i think people are aware of who thatcher demko is and i think he's considered one of the more if he's not quite elite i think he's certainly consider top 10 maybe top five i think he's i think he can make a run for for top five right now uh in vesna for sure i i i mean i'm totally biased so uh what do i know but uh but uh i i mean this is a guy i've watched a lot of and uh I think he's just being spectacular. I think he's, uh, it's just the way he plays uh, as well, the amount of saves he's made. Uh, I mean, he's second in the league behind John Gibson in, in saves. Yeah. So, I mean, that's another thing that, that that you can give him the nod for, but he plays a lot. And that is something with the Vesna that does get some credences, uh, guys who are workhorses, true 1A goalies, and uh, Gibson and Demko are both that for their teams as well, and they're keeping their teams in a playoff race with the rosters that some people may think they shouldn't be in the playoff races, but true. here we are, and uh, the Ducks and Canucks are, are both right in it. Yeah, and both their goalies, um, I guess nobody would have really expected them to be much this year, but uh, you know, kind of thinking about how Gibson's played and how Demko's played they're kind of putting you know the if if the uh, NHL was going to be going to the Olympics they would have been the number one and number two goalies outside of potentially Hellebuck and maybe Campbell but even in that situation they kind of look like they're the number the number ones right now or the number one and number two yeah I would I would have those two guys as one number one and number two out of those four goalies that you named uh, for sure because you can't really put Hellebuck in that position because he's even in playoffs he kind of falls apart like a cheap suit Right, like he's not, he, he's nothing, nothing special in playoffs. He had a rough start to the year as well. Mm -hmm. um, he did, but uh, um, I mean, I would right now, I'd probably be, uh, yeah, out of those four, Hellebuck. He, even though you know Vesna trophies and all that, it'd be tough for me to uh, put him in over Campbell right now. But I'd still, I still, I think it'd be Gibson and uh, Demko would be the the one two uh, for USA. So. I was, I was thinking about this, and I, I want to know what your take is because it's kind of a little bit of a weird one. But Demko right now is young. He's got a lot of potential, right? He's on the Canucks for, I'm, I'm guessing, quite a long time, um, especially if he stays around too. Do you think he's going to have a, like a Hall of Fame level career, or do you think he's just going to be one of those goalies that's you know great but never never hits that that peak? Like if you were to put your fortune teller hat on, what is what's your guess on on a uh, a Demko career? Well, it's tough to say Hall of Fame when he's really having his breakout year at 26. That that certainly right. makes it tough. But I do think 
uh, he's going to be in the all-star category for the remainder of his Canucks contract, at least here. I think just uh, the way he is set up here um, and the way he's playing and he's the, his goalie coach, uh, I think he's going to be considered, He, I think he's considered, you know, top to all-star level right now. But mm-hmm. I think once he starts, I think he has the potential to be in uh, Vesna conversations uh, here over the next few years as well. Do you think that not being able to go to the Olympics this year kind of puts a little bit of a damper on the, I guess, where his career would be at in in terms of other fans that don't watch the Canucks a lot like we do? I mean, there's always the idea that the the Olympics are to get more eyes on uh, on the game and different and players. Um, yeah, I I don't know. I think maybe to some extent, but I mean, if you got a three goalie rotation like that, you know, he's only playing one in every two or three games. Uh, True. As well, I mean, it certainly hurts uh, a bit, but um, I think teams north of the border generally have trouble getting a little more attention south of the border. Um, but that also just came from the coverage down there. I think uh, that both TNT and ESPN are doing a better job of looking at the league as a whole. And I think that comes from having a large amount of Canadians on uh, their panels as well. So I think they're, it's not quite as easy to glaze over what's happening north of the border as it was with the old NBC broadcasts. Yeah, and I was I was watching the Boston game today. I know don't don't shun me, but um, Mark Messier was on the panel. I yeah, was, I was taken back. I was like, wow. I mean, uh, I saw Gretzky and Biznasty on oh. the panel the other day, and say what you want about them, but they both were. Uh, this was during the juniors, and they were both uh, uh, noticeably cheering for Canada on this broadcast, and it's just uh, nice to see that. And I mean, really, to have hockey in any sort of good spotlight down south of the border you got to have canadians working on the cruise and uh, yeah. i don't think nbc ever really had a, a good grasp on the product and what they were trying to do I was, I was glad to see that switched over so i i think a lot of what they're doing south of the border right now is is going to help um improve well put more eyes on canadian players but also just improve the game overall i think it was a good business move to really bring in biz and uh and gretzky i mean gretzky obviously absolute legend but i think in terms of biz joining the uh joining the crew i think it's more for the the spit and chicklets image right like he's known for his podcast and i guess if you're a huge nhl fan you know of him obviously for his game too but um i just i find it like if people are going and somebody who maybe is not a huge hockey fan but just flips it on uh, willy-nilly, they might be like, oh, okay, cool. Biz is kind of like a funny guy. Maybe I'll tune in for another game, and then maybe they'll pick up the sport, and then maybe they'll pick up a team, like kind of Tony X situation with St. Louis, right? Yeah, and I mean, it's uh, this is what hockey needs is, as well, is you need different voices. You don't have to agree with them, but mm-hmm. you need different personalities and uh, different uh, types of people doing it. Hockey for a long time, uh, I mean, Don Cherry was an epitome of this in a lot of ways, and yeah. he was still entertaining at times, but obviously just very an old curmudgeon at the end of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and as you need more, you need more people from different backgrounds and different playing styles, or if they play, but you just need more different voices to really appeal and grow the game. And uh, again, at the NBC panels, it was just a bunch of bunch of boring white dudes sitting around talking i was like i would i wouldn't even watch it i'm a hockey fan i'm like this is boring i'm gonna flip to another game or something else and um yeah i mean gretzky obviously brings the brand power to to the the broadcasts but um uh i think you know getting guys like biz nasty out there to help grow the game yeah i think that's uh i think yeah anson carter is still kind of 
pisses me off a little bit about some of the things he said about the Canucks in the past, but whatever. Anson, Anson Sedin, uh, I used to cheer him on pretty good, but again, it's uh, it's good to get uh, good to see him still kicking around. I just wish we had a better relation uh, post Canucks <laughs> with him in this city. Yeah, that's a good point. I know uh, he he doesn't he doesn't spark. Well, I guess you could kind of say the same thing with Messier, right? Um, they're just more there for the. You, I reminisce, you know, like it's like, okay, Anson Carter had that one crazy year, but yeah, it was all due to the Sidians, and then he transfers over to, where did he go next? Did he go to Capitals? Uh, Columbus, yeah, Columbus. I think it was Columbus. I signed a pretty big deal there, something that the Canucks just couldn't match, and that was that was in the pre-Burroughs era when you had the rotating cast, cast of characters on the Sidians yeah. line, Trent Klatt and Jason King and Michael Samuelson and, and everyone else, and um, yeah, then Burroughs came in and locked that up, and probably became the best line in Canucks history, although the West Coast Express might argue that. Dude, I have to give the West Coast Express a shout-out because Brendan Morrison's right here, Pitt Meadows, you know. I'm from Maple Ridge, yeah. so got to yep, yep. keep it to the hometown, boy. Yeah, man. I Hey, I liked uh, Brendan Morrison. He was uh, he was, he was was great. Uh, that, was, that was an interesting trade when the Canucks got him and Dennis Peterson from the Devils when they traded Alex McGillney over there. Yeah. I thought we lost that trade, but uh, Brendan Morrison turned out to be a pretty useful piece for the Canucks for a long time. And he's kind of got, I guess, similar characteristics that Tyler Mott's got. Like he's, yeah, maybe a little bit more of a quiet guy, but you know what you get when he goes out there, right? And I and I think Brendan Morrison really only had um, the career he did because because of the Canucks. Because once he left, it's not like his point production, you know, stayed where it was at. Um, I think he went out to Calgary after too, and kind of just tapered yeah, off his career there. Yeah, he eventually ended up there, but he bounced around uh, a lot after the Canucks. He played. I uh, played eight years in Vancouver. And, uh, you know, I, I, he had uh, his big year in Vancouver was 84 points. Um, yeah, unreal. And, uh, and then uh, he, his next one after that was 60. Uh, but after that, then he bounced around uh, to a whole bunch of teams. Like most Canucks, he ended up in Calgary uh, for a bit in there as well. But uh, another thing with Morrison, he was a ridiculous scorer uh, for the University of Michigan. Like just uh, put up some gaudy numbers there, which, uh, which is tough to do. Yeah, especially for a dude from uh, from Pitt Meadows. Yeah, you know. Um, okay, now we have to transition to the Oilers because that's all right. That's the what would you describe it as? Oh, uh, tire fire is the word that comes up a, <laughs> a lot right now. Um, I think the thing with the Oilers is this is a lot of uh, history repeating, which is you know like fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, uh, fool me thrice, fool me four times. Like I don't know how many times we're we're at here now. Um, when I looked at the Oilers at the start of the year, uh, I had them getting second in the division, but I thought they were going to be in tough with whoever they played in the first round because I didn't like their blue line and I didn't like their goaltending. Right. Oilers get off to a fast start this year, and I'm like, wow, you know what? Maybe they've turned it around. Their blue line's playing okay. They're getting some goaltending. They finally have some forward depth to help out the big two guys. True. Hyman. But it seemed to be unsustainable and uh and fogel as well as another guy that they they brought in mm-hmm. and it just uh you know teams have started learning what to do it's like okay if we can frustrate them if we can uh start you know doing whatever however we play mcdavid and dry saddle who are still you know mcdavid's the best player in the world possibly ever and dry saddle is is one of the top players in the world um the oilers are very reliant on those two guys and i keep thinking about what pittsburgh did uh, in uh, the 2000s with uh, Crosby and Malkin. Again, top of their game. 
and how they built the team around them. And, uh, you know, they brought in, they, they got Marc-Andre Fleury, they got Chris Letang. They, they were able to round out the team and make some strategic trades uh, as well uh, to, to build that roster out. And it feels like the Oilers, they did some things right, but at the same mo- note, they kind of left their their biggest weaknesses from the previous season. They didn't really address. I mean, even get have seen guys like Ethan Bear go. You're like, yeah. that's a guy you probably should have kept uh, in there as well. Um, so it's uh, I mean, they need goaltending, uh, but they need other things. And uh, I'm I, it's it's something that the rest of hockey fans are just looking at and saying like oh, how many more years is mcdavid locked up for when's he going to be a ufa because uh it, it's um it's something that you know you do have to wonder uh what the future of the oilers are if they can't start to surround these guys i mean mcdavid's got four more years after this and i tell you if this was the last year uh he would not he wouldn't be going back to Edmonton. No. Like uh, he'd be, he'd be done with it. So uh, it's the same old story in Edmonton right now. Uh, questionable goaltending, um, a blue line that's got a lot of holes in it. Mm-hmm. Uh, much like Vancouver's, uh, Vancouver's got holes in their blue line too. But I don't think the expectations are as high in Vancouver as they are in Edmonton. You know, Edmonton a lot of skill up front, um, but I still just I don't look at this team and say, hey, this is a team that's built for the playoffs. No, not at all. It, I, like I like the fact that you brought up Pittsburgh too, because it's it's almost like an identical, it's an identical situation. You've got your two centers, and then your your wing pairs are just dudes that can fill in anywhere. Like you had your Pascal Dupuis and your Chris Kunitz days when you were back in the pit with Pets with Pittsburgh, and that's your Hyman and Puliarvi or your Yamamoto, right? Um, obviously Kunitz had a better career overall, but, um, I think they're just trying to take a lot of the same, uh, tactics and same playbook from the Pittsburgh Penguins, but they just can't do it in the same way. Cause they don't have a goalie. They can lock up. They have a D man. That's not Latang level, right? And Darnell nurse might be that guy in a couple of years, but I think he's still having some trouble trying to grow into the shoes they gave him. Duncan Keith's in a position where he doesn't know if he should be the veteran guy that plays third line or if he needs to play first line and do points. So he's playing this middle position. Um, and Koskinen. Uh, yeah, I don't I don't know where to start with uh, the whole debacle there. Yeah, I mean, they've they've tried to uh, I mean, I like some of the moves they made, but they again, I just look at him like I don't think this team is quite a playoff team uh, yet. If uh, they're going to get blankets thrown over McDavid, it's just like, okay, now it's the dry side will show up front in his line. Um, and then is your blue line and your goaltending going to be able to keep those other guys at bay? And I don't, I don't think so. I yeah. mean, Koskinen's 33, Smith is 39. It's uh, I, I think they need to, to get a goalie, but now if you know, if you're Edmonton, you start looking, it's like, okay, well, if we're going to start making a push, we got to really kind of go for it this year. What do you do? And uh, do you start trading picks? Uh, I mean, if you trade a first, there's a chance that you don't have a pick until the fifth round in next year's draft. Uh, so Oilers are at that point now where they've gonna, they're going to start having to look at moving picks, moving prospects to really kind of plug up some of the holes that they have, um, whether that's for this season or for next season. But, you know, you can't let this prime of McDavid and Drysaddle go to waste. You got to push all your chips in right now. 
Yeah, it's a it's a good point. Like, who would be a goalie that they potentially would be able to get? Like a like a Kemper. I, I still don't think that Colorado is going to be getting rid of Kemper anytime soon because I don't think Pavel Frankuz is uh, to the caliber they need him. But even too like Stuart Skinner, he's he had okay numbers uh, when he was up in the NHL, but they pushed him back down to the A because Koskinen and Smith are healthy. Yeah, I was a little surprised by that uh, that they did that myself. But um, yeah, I'm not I'm not sure uh, really. I'd have to uh, pull up a list and, and take a look at uh, at some goalies here. But uh, I don't know who they would they would actually go for. But I, I do think there will be a little bit of a goalie carousel that happens uh, before the trade deadline because I think there are a few teams that are looking to to fill that. Yeah, Buffalo is one of them. I mean, uh, unless they're planning to just go banking with uh, Ukopeka Lukanen, the legend. Yeah, yeah, I don't know. Uh, there's a there's a couple of teams that have uh, some pretty good young goalies as well. But again, is that that what you want to do? I mean. Uh, yeah, you know, I'm just kind of looking at some of the list here of uh, goalies who are going to be free agents at the end of the year. And, uh, you know, Marc-Andre Fleury, I think, is the big chip. That's the guy I think that uh, teams should be looking at if uh, they're really serious uh, about it, is trying to go after uh, a guy like Fleury, who Chicago got for nothing, literally nothing, uh, as well, uh, to to join their team. So, What's Fleury at again? Uh, What's his cap? Uh He's got a looks like it's a seven million dollar cap hit, so yeah, he's he was pretty a, high. And he was, but he was free though. He was like, there was no yeah, issues there. They just, they just gave him to him. Um, so it's possible, and maybe there's some sort of fancy deal where you know you gotta if you, Chicago could easily retain salary. I mm-hmm. mean, it's not, uh, it's not you know if they're getting a first or something back and agreeing to eat some salary, Chicago's got a a lot of tools to to work with this. I mean, uh, I think Fleury is the target though for for someone yeah i don't know if that's i don't know if it would be the target for edmonton because edmonton has to be more lined up that they're going to be going deep in the playoffs and i think there's a lot of um a lot of adversity on the roster where they don't even know if what they are right now no and they just got to start finding ways to to win that's uh, that's really it they just got to kind of put it together um uh, or you know are they going to go out and maybe try and grab a young goalie off uh, of some team out there uh, i don't know um I don't know what the answer is. Edmonton looking at uh, the UFA goalies right now for next year. Nothing really jumps out at me, um, you know, and I don't know what their answer is at the moment, but it's got to be frustrating over there because they got off to that good start and you thought they turned a corner and uh, it's kind of the same old story over there right now. True. It, it, the third and fourth line, it's just the depth. It just doesn't line up, right? You can't have Brendan Perlini and, Derek Ryan and Shore and you can't have all these guys that have just bounced around the league as your third and fourth line and hope that you're going to have a lot of success, right? Like you, if you're going to be, if you do have Nuge still, are you going to be playing him third line? Or are you going to be playing him second line wing with Dreisaitl? Are you going to play him first line? It's just like a, it's just like a, a random puzzle that can't be put together. It feels like, again, I feel like they kind of looked at the full scope of the job. They tagged off a few things, and then they were like, oh, shit, we didn't uh, do everything. We we still got these holes from last year. Yeah. But uh, I just feel like they really focused on the forward core. And, and to be fair, you know, they tried some things with the blue line. But, uh, again, you know, I'm not a big Cody CC fan. Um, True. Uh, I like Kevin Bouchard. I think uh, he could be a good young piece. Um, that was a guy I'd done a lot of – research on because i thought the canucks might have been looking at him uh, in the draft mm-hmm. um 
Darnell Nurse, I think, will be good for a while, but that's a big contract as well, right? True. It's, uh, that's something you got to work with. Um, and again, why I didn't really like the bringing in of Duncan Keith is it makes things uh, uh, a little bit tricky as well. He's still got a pretty big salary uh, too. Are you pl- are you thinking maybe it's time to let go of Barry and see what you can get for him? Um, maybe I think Barry brings something to that team. Um, uh, it's kind of that. I mean, he led the league in defenseman points last year. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can spin that a lot of different ways. I'm spinning it on but, second line assists or sorry, yeah, second it's assists. Quite, it's quite possible. He, uh, I mean, he's just got to kind of show up out there. But again, that's another one, right? That's uh, he's got two more years at four and a half million. I mean, between Tyson Barry and Duncan Keith, uh, that's ten million dollars right there. So. Right. Uh, it's, um, I, I don't know again, uh, what the market would be for a guy like that, but I do think Barry brings something to the Oilers, but, uh, again, they're just kind of, kind of missing something. They're missing a few things and, uh, it really starts in the back and in goal. Yeah. They, they do have a lot of, um, well, maybe not a lot, but they have a couple of good prospects that they can pull up eventually like Xavier Borgo, but is that's not going to be your temporary answer. Now you can't just put them beside McDavid and hope for, you know, automatic success. Um, I think this team is going to be not fantastic for the next couple of years. I'm going to say two years. And if they don't get further than the second round in playoffs, I think it definitely might be um, that moment where McDavid's like, yeah, you know what? We probably should try something else, you know, but yeah, he, or, or maybe they trade McDavid. That would be a fun one to, to see a return on a guy like McDavid. It would have to go to a team that's got enough cap. Um, oh well, you know maybe it's a maybe it's a Matthew McDavid show in Arizona. Uh, it would be uh, that'd be something. I mean they've they've certainly uh, I, I I do think Arizona as as much as is ridiculous what they're doing. I do think they have some sort of plan here. I mean they've just loaded up on draft picks in a deep draft. Yeah. So uh, they're they're kind of it's interesting to watch. They got cap space. Uh, coming up they got draft picks uh it'll be interesting to see but their their amount of draft picks they have over the next three years is just just stupefying really but they have to do something with those draft picks they can't have the barrett haydens all over again yeah you can't do uh that with that bruins draft year when they they swing oh. and a missed on three in a row missing out and guys like Barzell and Besser and Shabbat. Yeah, like just missing on a whole bunch of guys. So, yeah, draft picks are exactly, you know, they're lottery picks. Uh, you still got to hit on them, but you get more picks in uh, in the, the balls there. And, you know, you got a better chance of hitting something if you got good scouting. But, um, yeah, Arizona, they're, they're a weird one. But I, I still haven't ruled out either Austin Matthews ending up there. That'd be pretty funny. That would be awesome. And I think it, it potentially could happen because, I mean, Toronto right now is looking at their team and saying, all right, well, you know, Matthews, uh, he was injured for a bit at the beginning of the year. He was in COVID for a bit. Tavares kind of picked his socks up, put in the points for the team. And then, you know, where did Matthews end up? He came back. He started producing as well. So they might be looking and saying, hey, we've already got a good center. Like, you know, if we can't sign this guy for something that's reasonable, he might just have to walk or potentially mm-hmm. try to flip him before he uh, before he does. It'll be interesting. He's got two more years after this, and then he's a UFA, so it'll be interesting. He'll be looking for twelve million. Uh, he's close to that already. Yeah. So, um, no, we're at, we're at fifty four minutes. Um, I want to say thank you for joining on. I know uh, I we talked a little bit about the Canucks. Talked about uh, <laughs> you were saying Doug's least favorite team, the Oilers. Yep, yep. Uh, they're his least favorite. For me, it's the Leafs, and uh, it was it was really hard to 
want the Leafs to win. I, I refused to say cheering for the Leafs last night. I wasn't cheering for them. I just wanted <laughs> them to win because for the greater good of uh, the Canucks, but it was really difficult. But uh, Doug hates the Oilers the most. I hate the Leafs the most. A good team. I mean, that's that's why you guys have a podcast together. Yeah, yeah, that's it. Well, um, for everybody listening in, um, definitely check out the Canucks Speakeasy. Um, it's been a pleasure having you on, Pete. Did you want to, do you have any final words that you wanted to leave off? Any shout outs, anything like that? Uh, I mentioned Doug uh, enough. He'll be he'll be pretty chuffed with that. Yeah, again, just uh, I said that we got the the Canucks Speakeasy about to do episode 100, and um, just just gonna be a, a, a well. Hopefully, it's a fun ride. Hopefully, there's not too many COVID disruptions. But uh, it's nice to have. Uh, it's just nice to feel like we have an organization that's speaking to the fans that seems to have a plan is bringing in people. Um, it's a, it's a lot of direction that this team is needed and uh, a buffer with ownership as well. So I'm very excited to see what the next couple of years bring and some of the tough decisions the team's going to have to make as well. But, um, I feel like we're in a better situation certainly than a couple months ago. That's true. You, you brought up a, big, a really good point is it finally seems like we actually, we as a, as a fan base have a voice because a lot of the things that we wanted to see are finally happening. And it seems like all this Twitter, um, this Twitter meltdowns, fi- meltdowns, fiasco, whatever you'd call it has finally turned a different chapter. And hopefully this chapter is a good one. And I mean, the yeah. Bruce there, it is chance already started it. So <laughs> yeah, I hear that. Um, the, the last thing we do on this, on this episode or this podcast is we talk about our hot take. So Pete, you got to have, one hot take that you can guess for this season. It could be um, something you predict. It could be like a top Calder. It could be Vesna winner. It could be anything. Hmm. Well, we've already gone about Demko a bit. Um, I thought that could be one. Um, I think Pod Colson's going to push 20 goals. Okay. I think uh, he's pacing for 18 at the moment. But if you look at uh, what he's doing, he's I've, I've called him on our podcast. Uh, it's like a train that starts getting momentum and it's a little bit slow, but it's getting there. He's getting faster and faster and he's getting better and better. And I've noticed uh, a few things that he's doing uh, out there that he wasn't doing at the start. He's playing with more confidence and he's got a new coach now. Um, I think Pod Colson uh, is going to come pretty close to 20 goals this year. Okay. Pretty close or hits it? I don't know yet. Um, <laughs> I don't want to say that Pod Colson is going to be a 20 goal man in his rookie year, um, uh, but I think he's going to push it. Uh, I think he's going to. I think he's got a good shot at it. I'll, okay. I'll say like 80 percent chance. Okay, uh, that's, that's uh, I'll, I'll I'll say that. Yeah. So basically, 18 goals or higher, basically. I think so. I, you know what? Sure, I'll I'll say he hits twenty goals. I think he's got a. I think he's got the, the tools. He's getting used in a lot of different roles now, um, and I just like the way he's been playing. And every game, he just seems to slowly be getting better. So I don't see why that trend uh, wouldn't continue as long as he stays healthy. Okay, fair point. That's a, that's a good take. Um, the way the takes are working is whoever gets their take correct at the end of season one here wins a twelve case. Actually, I think it was a twenty four case. I got to double check. But they win a case of whatever beer they want. Ooh, so, I like it. Yeah. Well, I, I wish I'd, I, if there's, I'd known that, I would have uh, gone a little bit safer and said, you know, Quinn Hughes gets four goals this year. <laughs> Demko gets over 900 save percentage. Yeah, something like that. <laughs> well, like I said, thanks for joining. To everybody listening, um, thank you all for listening in and look forward to another episode the following Saturday. Everybody take right. care and uh, thanks again.
Cheers. Cheers.